The first reading is taken from Luke chapter 2 verses 7 to 12. In the Red Bible it's page 1027. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their folks. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and laying in a manger. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we have our third, if you've been counting, our third angelic visit in three weeks' time. As you see there in verse 9, this is not Gabriel necessarily this time, although the angel is not named. Could be Gabriel. But it's called the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord. Now, there are special creatures in the Bible that have six wings. Isaiah's uh, calling, he encountered one of these creatures, and these creatures were flying with two wings and then using the other four to cover themselves up from God's glory. But when the Bible says angels as in messengers, we should be thinking of angels like Gabriel, or like this one who has come to the fields These are messengers with human-like appearances. Sometimes they're even confused for normal people in the Bible. No wings, sorry. So the angel of the Lord is probably, therefore, standing right there among the shepherds. And after the angel of the Lord delivers this good news to these shepherds, all of a sudden a whole bunch of angels show up. Again, probably on the ground. The phrase, verse 13, the whole company of heaven, a host of heaven, a host of angels. This means an army. This is the army of God, the angelic force. And so instead of a choir, I know I'm ruining your Christmas here, but instead of a choir sort of filling the skies and wings flapping and voices singing, we should probably think of an army, perhaps even in military formation. Maybe they're even marching past the shepherds. Instead of singing, they could be chanting. After all, 
Luke doesn't say that they were singing, but they were saying things. I think sometimes our sentimental Christmas imaginations, they make us think of a cute little baby and a silent night. But remember, the hope of Zechariah's song from two weeks ago, chapter 1, verse 69, is that a great horn of salvation, horns make noise, horn of salvation, that is a symbolic of a great and mighty ruler, a king, would come and would deliver God's people, Zechariah sings, chapter 1, verse 71, from people that hate them. Mary herself, you know, quiet, gentle, mild Mary, she sings that God has come to do what? To bring down the boastful rulers, to knock them off of their thrones, and instead to exalt the poor and the humble. Chapter 1, verse 52. So what, from what Zechariah and Mary and Gabriel and this angel of the Lord say, and from what Luke writes for us, we should probably be imagining a pretty noisy military parade happening, announcing the enthronement of a new king out there in the fields near Bethlehem. So when these angels march by chanting, you can imagine the shepherds are probably thinking, not, what a wonderful concert we're getting, but, whoa, it's really happening. The king is really coming. This wasn't just an empty promise, but the real deal. Nothing will be the same for us again. But the question, of course, arises, if you're going to have a military parade or whatever is going on here, if this is a coronation celebration, why in the world is it happening out in the fields? Why are a handful of shepherds invited? If you're the angel of the Lord, or you're the heavenly army, why are you not marching down the streets of Jerusalem, for example? Well, actually, if you're going to celebrate a new king from David's own family, then why not go out among the shepherds near Bethlehem? Bethlehem is David's city. After all, while his father, David's own father, was showing off his older brothers to the prophet Samuel, you know, more king-like older brothers who were handsome and strong and wise and all that, what was boy David doing? He was out in the fields looking after sheep. David himself was overlooked when we were looking for a king. But the Lord, as it were, himself went out into the field and found David and said, no, this is my man. He's been faithful doing the job that he's been given, and now I'm going to exalt him to a place of honor. So it actually makes perfect sense here that God, if he is going to put David's descendant back on David's throne, that God would go out into the fields again and announce this to the shepherds. The scholars tell us that these shepherds could very well be David's distant relatives themselves, doing what David did. And this is God's way of saying, listen, shepherds, people might not think very much of you, and they didn't think much of shepherds, but though you've got the most despised job of all, you are part of the royal family, so rejoice. Now, if all that sounds like, you know, too political for Christmas time, there's actually more. 
verse 11, when the angel says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Literally, what the angel is saying is, I evangelize to you great joy. I evangelize to you great joy. Now this phrase, (laughs) we have good news. I evangelize you. This phrase was used often by the Roman Empire in their propaganda. And they had their own military parades. They had their own glory to display. Savior, another word that the angel uses, is often also used in propaganda to describe, guess who? The Roman emperor, who's going to bring about the peace that everybody wants. But here the angel says, I've got news. I've got news of a savior. But this news, this savior, will not just be for the elites, for some of you, but it will be for all of you. And to prove that this birth is your good news, shepherds, and therefore good news for everybody, especially the despised and the outsiders. God wants you, the angel says, shepherds, to be the king's first official visitors. Now, everybody put your shepherd thinking caps on, your imaginary staff in your hands, and imagine what you would be thinking if this happens to you. The angel starts giving you the king's address and says, plug this into your GPS and off you go. The king needs visitors. You would say, wait, you want, you want us to go? Are you sure you've got the right people? But this is just the point, isn't it? Friends, if you feel, especially at the holidays, a little bit on the outside, if you have a hard time perhaps here in Zurich, a beautiful place, now with a nice blanket of snow. At this time of year, feeling like you belong. Maybe you've made this your home, but you feel a little out of place. If you think that because your career hasn't amounted to what you hoped that it would, that maybe you're a modern-day shepherd. Maybe you feel like the church crowd just makes you feel a little bit on the outside. These aren't really your type of people, and they don't really have room for you. If you feel like the grace and the glory of God are experiences for people who are better behaved than you, then you need to open your spiritual eyes this morning, and you need to watch this parade of the heavenly army march past you. You need to open your ears and you need to hear what the angel is saying to you as well. This is your king and you belong in his royal court. No one belongs in God's kingdom ahead of you if you receive this invitation and you go and you make this king your king. Will you? The second reading is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Suddenly, a great company of of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the heaven and on earth, 
peace to those whom he, on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to them, to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. This is the word of the Lord. So what is this angel army singing or chanting together as they march past the shepherds? This is the easy part. You all know this. Most of you can probably sing it in Latin even. So let's try a different question. If I asked you, don't look at your Bibles again, but if I ask you, who are these heavenly warriors singing to? What would you say? In my Christmas imagination, I always thought of their song as sort of a repeat of what the angel had said to the shepherds. In other words, the first angel says it, and then the choir sings the same thing to them. This is part of the announcement, the message to the shepherds. But there's actually a more likely possibility. Perhaps it seems, in the way that Luke describes this, that they are singing or chanting directly to God. That God, and not the shepherds, is the angel's audience. You're allowed to look at your Bibles again. Don't want to ever discourage that. They could be saying, in other words, God, your glory is astounding to us. It extends to the most exalted creature in all of heaven. And the peace of your reign and rule extends all the way down to the most humble person on the face of the earth. Your kingdom, O God, is great, and all that matters in your kingdom is that you show your grace and your favor to a woman, to a man, to a shepherd, to a king, and then they are suddenly conscious of your great glory, overwhelmed by your great love. This, I think, is the song or the chant of this angel army. Why is this important? Well, as we said last week, the angels are always looking into and watching the story of human redemption unfold. Peter tells us this. And it seems in this instance that yes, the Lord assigned these angels a task to go to the shepherds, but that once they're there and they experience God's gracious glory once again, in person, shown to these angels. It seems as if the Lord pulls back the curtain that separates his majesty from creaturely experience, that separates the visible and the invisible, and he lets the shepherds watch and hear the surprise and the wonder of this angelic army as they praised God. Friends, do you know why I love church? I love all the church stuff. But the real reason that I love church is because when we gather like this, 
week after week, God opens the heavenly curtain and he gives us, his people, a little peek at the angels praising their king. God lets us join in the wonder and the joy that the angels always have as they watch God redeem us. We worship week after week, Advent after Advent, Lent after Lent, Christmas after Christmas, normal Sunday after normal Sunday. We worship in the company of angels. And this privilege that we enter into as worshipers, it's meant to propel us out into the world again. This weekly experience that we have together is designed so that when we leave here, we are therefore then able to give our neighbors and our colleagues and our friends and our family a similar experience to what the shepherds have had out in the field and to what we get to experience here together. We are filled as we gather with awe and wonder so that other people who see then our acts of love and mercy, who hear the words of grace and truth come from our mouths, that they would then sense that they, as we go about our normal lives, that they are seeing behind the curtain just a little bit. So that they would realize that they are seeing something that God is doing in and through humble people like us. So that they would then glorify God themselves as we do and as the angels never stop doing. I love the church because it reminds me of what I live for. Praising God with my life in front of the listening and watching world. Church helps me get surprised once a week again, like the angels get surprised here. Church helps me remember that there's glory and grace happening all over the place because every place in creation, on the earth as well as in heaven, is the theater of God's grace and glory. When I'm here with you and when I'm doing what we get to do here together, I get excited about the opportunity to sing and chant and to live my surprise at God's astonishing grace and glory again in front of other people. As you watch and hear the angels chant and sing, oh, what glory and oh, what grace from this God as they do. My prayer is that you, that we together, may be ready to make our lives an oh, what grace and oh, what glory bunch of lives to turn our lives into songs and chants as we march out into our workplaces, to do so every week and then for the rest of our lives. That is the privilege of being God's people, worshiping together as the shepherds got to do in the very company of angels. The third reading is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 16 to 21. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed 
at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. This is the word of the Lord. So we've seen our third angelic visitation. We've looked at the song or the chant itself, the Gloria in Excelsis. And now let's look at what happens after the song has been sung. I left off talking about, in other words, our mission as a church, as God's people, Monday through Saturday. And I'm not just making this up. What the shepherds themselves did is an indicator of what we're called to do. After the angels left them, what happened? Well, two things. First of all, verse 15, they believed that God wasn't mistaken when he extended his grace to them, even people like them. And they went, therefore, right away to go see their king and savior and experience his grace firsthand. The second thing that they did is they left and they started telling everyone about what they had seen and heard. And, did you catch this? They went back to work. They returned to their place. The shepherds become some of the first people to believe the evangel, the gospel, the good news, the thing that the angel specifically called this. And they become, therefore, some of the first evangelists, the ones who spread and share the good news. Their words, their lives began to bear witness to the glory and the grace of this new king. I think that sometimes we have these wonderful experiences, especially at times like Christmas and Easter, and we start to feel like, you know, maybe I need to be spreading the good news myself. And then it gets to be Monday, and we go back to work, and we start getting nervous about sharing the gospel. Maybe that's for professionals or somebody better than me. But here's the thing from these simple shepherds. The gospel, they realize, is good news. And our experience of the glory and grace of God is meant to produce exactly what it produced in the shepherds, in the people that they started sharing their experience with, verse 18. It's meant to produce the same thing that it produced in Mary's heart, verse 19. And what is that thing? That thing is wonder. Wonder. It's probably my favorite word in all of Luke's gospel and maybe in the Bible. Wonder. 
You see, if you only understand the gospel in your head, intellectually, that the grace and glory of God is good and that God has had favor even on sinners, so far so good, right? But if you only understand it here, then you will face the challenge of living and telling forth the good news as if it was, first and foremost, an intellectual problem. You'll realize that you don't have all the answers on Tuesday afternoon, and you'll end up being quiet when you have a chance to give a reason for why you have this hope. Or, maybe even worse, you will think that you have all of the answers, and you'll be obnoxious and proud and counterproductive. But if, on the other hand, you have what we might call a cardiac, that is a heart-level experience of the good news, if you realize in the depths of your soul that the reign of Jesus in grace and in glory is good news for you, for you, that the Savior has come to save even you, Then your life, like the life of the angels, like the life of the shepherds, like Mary's life, like Ruth's life and Boaz's life, as we've been studying, will be full of wonder and amazement. The overflow, therefore, of your wonder and your amazement and your awe at God's grace and glory will start to spill out naturally into words of encouragement towards other people in deference towards other people's desires instead of your own, in kindness towards even the unkind, in patience towards people who are often themselves impatient. It will overflow into the showing of honor towards people who are often overlooked and dishonored by others. And as your life begins to expand with wonder at God's grace and his glory, even to somebody like you, then you will have, as Peter promises us, you will have many chances to give the reason for the hope that you have within you. People will ask, why are you showing honor to this person like this? Why are you so slow to speak and quick to listen? Why are you quick to give encouragement and slow to puff yourself up? There's something different about you. And you can say, listen, I'm just amazed. My life and my heart is just full of wonder that God would love and, and save and, and fix up even somebody like me. And so my hope is just kind of bubbling out of me into this life that you see. I do want to radiate with the grace and glory of God. But the reason that you're seeing it, friend, neighbor, brother, sister, is just because it's bubbling out from me. And so, friends, treasure up all of these things in your heart, like Mary, verse 19. Return to your work, like the shepherds, verse 20, and do so in a spirit of awe and wonder, glorifying and praising God for all that you've seen and heard. And when you have the chance, sure, Tell people when they ask what's going on in your heart and why. And then come back week after week and worship 
enter the royal courtroom again with the shepherds, even though you're just a shepherd too. And God promises to pull the curtain back and show you once again the angels who never stop saying glory, glory, and grace from God above. Let this be the rhythm of your life. The Christian life is not complicated. It's simple, but it's hard. But let this be the rhythm of your life. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn king. Behold the angels. And then go out and return to your work, filled with awe and and wonder at the majesty that you've seen. If you do this, if you enter into this kind of a rhythm, brothers and sisters, if we do together as God's people here, then we will have an Advent life, a life that's full of expectation, a life that has been filled over and over to overflowing with God's own grace and glory and filled with praise for God who has done and will still continue to do everything that he has promised to do in our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we submit ourselves to you, as we bow and worship with the shepherds, as we overhear the angelic song and chant, we ask that you would do just this with us. Make our lives a song and a chant of your grace and glory and give us plenty of opportunities to give the reason for the hope that we have, namely, that you've loved even someone like us. Humble us, and then exalt us with our Savior, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we submit our lives, and in whose name we make our prayer. Amen.